morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Tuesday, May the 10th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Over 14 million people in Kenya, Somalia, and Ethiopia are in dire need of humanitarian assistance due to drought. Government's position is normal exports until the local market is fully supplied. We will not allow any exports until Malawi is fully saturated with adequate sugar. And Malawi suspends sugar exports to address local shortages for the high-priced commodity. Clearly, there has been an increase in the number of children that are getting malnourished, uh, but there were also reported cases of diarrhea. Water that is not safe is a big problem. And Nigerian airlines abruptly suspend plans to ground all local flights due to the soaring cost of jet fuel. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, over 14 million people in Kenya, Somalia and Ethiopia are in dire need of humanitarian assistance due to drought that is causing devastation in those countries. According to the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, at least 5.5 million children are facing acute malnutrition. Moreno Jambo reports. At least 6.1 million people in Ethiopia, 4.1 million people in Somalia, and 3.5 million people in Kenya are facing climatic-induced and prolonged humanitarian crisis in Kenya. The eastern and northern parts, which are entirely arid and semi-arid areas, are experiencing critical drought conditions, with some counties like Marsabit having not experienced rain in the past two years. Speaking virtually after his three-day visit to the affected counties, the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Cross Crescent Society Secretary General Jagan Chapagain said that the affected areas have not been given the required attention. Uh, but I think globally, the, one of the major challenges has been is to get sufficient attention on this on this drought crisis. Uh, but of course, when we look here, um, the, 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 some of the statistics say that around 20 million people are needing food assistance just in Kenya, Somalia, and uh, Ethiopia. Just, just three countries, that's 20 million. Uh, some help is coming, but clearly not enough. In response to the hunger and drought situation in Kenya, Somalia, and Ethiopia, the International Federation of Red Cross the Kenya Red Cross, Ethiopia Red Cross, and Somali Red Cross are jointly appealing for 39 million U.S. dollars. Chapagin says there is need for immediate assistance. So there is clearly a need to bring immediate assistance on food, nutrition, health, and water. What we also saw was, of course, uh, the drought has also killed many, many animals. You know, there are families who have lost thousands animals, meaning that suddenly their life has turned upside down. With Marsabit County in Kenya being the most affected and people losing over 70% of their livestock, which is their main source of livelihood, Red Cross Kenya says it will take long for the people to recover from the impacts of drought. 
The Secretary General of the Kenya Red Cross Society, Asha Mohammed, says more than 250,000 people are affected in Marsabit County alone. For Marsabit alone, it's about 270,000 uh, people. Of course, the others is now Garissa, Wajia, Mandera, and Turkana, uh, because this is really one of the epicenters if you just remove Marsabit and Turkana. Mohammed says malnutrition and other diseases are also affecting children under the age of five. Clearly there has been an increase in the number of children that are getting malnourished, uh, but there were also reported cases of diarrhea. Water that is not safe is a big problem. There was also an increase in um, pneumonia, especially among the children. Uh, you can see it's mainly children that are quite uh, impacted. Despite cash assistance, food and improved water treatment practices, there is an urgent need to rehabilitate water systems. Marsabit County Disaster Management Director Jeremy Ledani says there are still many people that he worries might die of starvation if the government does not intervene. Despite all this, all these interventions like social protection programs, buying of relief food by the government, giving cash to vulnerable households, we still have a huge population in dire need of food aid who wish if nothing is going to be done about it will end up dying out of starvation. There are warnings that the number of affected people could rise to 20 million by the middle of this year. If the rains continue to fail, prices rise further and without significant funds for those in crisis. In Somalia alone, over half a million people have already fled their homes in search of food and water since the beginning of 2022. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jumbo in Sacramento, California. This week, Malawi has suspended selling sugar outside the country to address shortages for the high-priced commodity. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Minister of Trade and Industry Matki Katsungapiri made the announcement this week after visiting one of the country's largest manufacturers, Ilovo Sugar Company, in southern Malawi. The minister directed the company to stop selling the product to other countries until the availability of sugar in the country stabilizes. Government's position is normal exports until the local market is fully supplied. We will not allow any exports until Malawi is fully saturated with adequate sugar. Local consumers have been complaining that the scarcity of sugar on the market has made retailers double the selling price. So far, the government has given local sugar manufacturing companies a seven-day ultimatum to flood the local market with sugar. Lekani Katandula is managing director for Ilovo Sugar Company. He says the sugar scarcity is largely due to tropical storm Anna in February, which destroyed about 40,000 tons of sugar cane. That scenario was exacerbated by the fact that when we got to April, and started off our factories. We were unable to supply our factories with adequate sugarcane from the farms because the trucks that go into the farmlands to get the sugar from there to the factory were getting stuck in the very muddy waters as it continued raining all the way up to the end of April. Gatandula said to meet the demand, the company has begun crushing more sugarcane than before. Our market normally uses between 400 and 500 tons of sugar in a day. The last four days, we've been able to supply the market at least 600 tons every day. 
Yesterday we actually supplied 700 tons, but even then, that is not looking like um, adequate supply because of the panic buying that is still prevailing in different parts of the market. Katandula says he hopes the intervention will help increase the supply of sugar by the end of the week. Lamik Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. And still in Malawi, the Anti-Corruption Bureau plans to investigate the party of Vice President Saulos Chilima over its recent purchase of 44 vehicles. The move follows complaints by two people who petitioned the anti-graft agency to investigate the transaction at a time when the country's economy faces headwinds. This after local media reports that the United Transformation Party, which is part of the ruling coalition, purchased 44 brand new vehicles. But supporters of the party say only 11 vehicles were bought. They add that plans by the anti-corruption agency to investigate the group is politically motivated to make the vice president appear unpopular. For analysis and the latest developments, VOS Peter Crotty reached attorney Vincent Kondwe, is a leading member of the Political Science Association of Malawi. This will be for the first time, maybe for the anti-corruption bureau, to investigate a political party in whatever way it has incurred uh, certain expenditures, including uh, these uh, alleged 44 vehicles that the vice president's party has bought. Because the fifth time in, in memorial from the one-party state up to the democratic state, the, the political parties in power have always acquired a lot of property and a lot of wealth whenever they are in power. And the, at no single point in time has the Anti-Corruption Bureau investigated the source of funds for the political parties. So this is something that is new on the political terrain, and we are yet to see how far the Anti-Corruption Bureau is going to move, because ordinarily, when it comes to politically connected individuals, the Anti-Corruption Bureau has not been able to successfully prosecute. And now this one concerns the vice president of the country, and maybe everyone would be interested to know how far would the Anti-Corruption Bureau investigate and conclude the matter. But supporters of UTM are saying that the party has only confirmed the purchase of 11 new vehicles and not the 44 as been suggested, and that they feel they are being targeted wrongly. Maybe until the preliminary findings of the Anti-Corruption Bureau, when the official information comes out as to the, the findings of our investigation, we should be able to know the source. But really, uh, for the UTM to, to, to purchase for the four vehicles, as it is alleged, would really raise eyebrows. So for me, the whole issue borders on the type of information that UTM is going to give to the public. If it's 11 vehicles, maybe it would be reasonable. But for the, for the four vehicles and the figures that are being mentioned, it quite raises eyebrows. So for me... Maybe if there can be that information given to the public, say, look, this, these are the number of vehicles that were purchased, that maybe would calm the nerves of the people. Because otherwise, like I put it, for the four vehicles, it's quite an outrageous figure, and the amounts that are being mentioned are quite huge, given the economic turmoil that Malawi is going through. One would tend to wonder where does the political party uh, get the finances to purchase such number of vehicles. Some people are also suggesting, uh, Vincent, that this is an internal political party issue and should not attract the scrutiny 
of the Anti-Corruption Bureau because there's no law that says that political parties should disclose their source of funding. Your response to that? Because parasophias are indeed out there trying to intimate that this is a, a political game or it's a symptom of the conflict that is there between the Malawi Congress Party and the UTM. And the Malawi Congress Party should not forget is where President Razor Chakwila comes from and the UTM is where the vice president of the country comes from. So for me, at this point in time, I would not buy into the conspiracy theorist claims. Uh, but suffice to say, time will tell whether the Anti-Corruption Bureau is honestly investigating these purchases or they are some kind of motivated by politics. Uh, so for me, I wouldn't comment much on the conspiracy theories because I don't have that kind of information. Because for me, the, uh, the allegation of 44 vehicles is quite significant and would really invite the anti-corruption bureau to investigate. But as I put it, this would be the first of its, its kind since much party democracy that the anti-corruption bureau would investigate the source of funding of a political party. So yeah, uh, the perception would be that maybe there will be politics, but as it stands, there remain conspiracies. Let's see how far the Anti-Corruption Bureau will go and unearth uh, the truth behind the, these allegations. That is Malawian attorney Vincent Conway who was speaking to VOA's Peter Cloti from Blantyre in Malawi. The airline operators of Nigeria say that domestic airlines have suspended plans to ground all flights due to the soaring cost of jet fuel just hours before the move was due to take effect. The group has been under pressure from the government, consumer protection bodies and customers to drop the planned shutdown since it was announced on Friday. Airlines are complaining about paying for jet fuel upfront in cash. The price has more than doubled this year, partly as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, increasing their operating costs by over 95%. Debrick Africa continues. On Monday, the Rwanda Investigation Bureau arrested Miss Rwanda 2017 Elsa Iradukunda on several charges, including obstruction of justice and forgery. Following the arrest, the Rwandan government suspended the body in charge of organizing the pageant over a sexual harassment scandal that has been in the news for more than three weeks. Eugene Uimana has more details from Rwanda's capital in Kigali. The Rwanda Investigation Bureau, or RIB, broke the news of arresting Miss Rwanda 2017 in Monday afternoon. This follows the arrest of the organizer of the beauty pageant and director of Rwanda Inspiration Backup, Ishim Ngedene, a suspect in sexual harassment cases against contestants. Rib says Miss Iradkunda obstructed justice while urging harassing contestants not to cooperate with investigators. The Bureau says she also forged or revised the statements of those who had already filed complaints. Christine Mkandakezi, the mother of Miss Iradkunda, was in tears as she explains how the family found out their daughter was arrested. She said that Elisa called the family Sunday after church and said the Rwanda Investigation Bureau had summoned her. After that, the family kept on calling her, but in vain. Mrs. Mkandahezi later came to the station, and close to midnight, she was told that her daughter will remain in custody. 
She says her daughter is innocent and that she's appealing to Rwanda's first lady to help her. While addressing the Congress of the ruling party Rwanda Patriotic Front recently, Madani President Paul Kagame commented on the ongoing sexual harassment scandal. He said that apart from assaulting contestants, the organizer of Miss Rwanda contest also trafficked them. He said sexual corruption should stop. Mugore doesn't owe you anything. If anything, you owe each other. The first thing is you owe each other respect. You owe each other this right. After the scandal, the Minister of Culture announced the suspension of the beauty pageant until the investigation is concluded. The show's organizer, Shimo de Doné, alias Prince Kid, was arrested on April 26 and his dossier has been handed to national authorities for prosecution. Ejen Uimana, for VOA News, Chigali, Gwanda. Government officials in Uganda said they are tightening copyright laws and policies in a bid to improve the music industry. Reporter Mugume Davis Rwakarenji has more from Kampala. Dennis Mboize samples popular songs on Benikonoka Street in Kampala. Mboize says he earns 30,000 to 50,000 Uganda shillings or some eight fourteen dollars through selling mostly Uganda songs to his clients. All he does is download music from the internet which he transfers to people's devices. Charles Batambuze is the vice chairman of Uganda National Cultural Center which regulates the music industry. He says actions like the Zomboize have a negative impact on the profession. Copyright is both a criminal and a civil offense. That's why police is involved. Um, of course, we are doing a lot of sensitization to ensure that people don't just break the law without knowing. We hope that we can end the impunity because in some cases there's been impunity. Uganda gospel singer and songwriter Lucas Rubiogo, popularly known as Levickson, welcomes the news the government is working on enforcing copyright laws. I do believe uh, copyright enforcement will improve the business end of, of the industry. Um, of course, more income will mean more investment capacity in the work, uh, better quality, and all that. But businessman Boise says that laws will deprive him and hundreds of many youth who illegally depend on the trade. All they do is to do music in their studios. They sit and wait for their money there. But we are the down people who play their music, such as the other people listen to it. They get to know them. They, get, uh, they catch up the market and they earn a lot. Then there is no reason why you should come up with such measures onto us. We are also getting some little money. Yeah. And we are also marketing you guys as the as the artists. Anyone convicted of breaching copyright laws in Uganda is liable to a fine not exceeding 50 currency points or imprisonment for not more than a year or both. But officials here say they are rooting for even tougher punishments. For Daybreak Africa, I am Mogume, Davis Rwakarinjini Kampala, Uganda. Former world boxing champion Floyd Mayweather is in Nigeria on his first visit to Africa to promote the sport ahead of an exhibition fight in Dubai on Saturday. The U.S. boxing legend will meet fans, media and Nigeria's sports ministry. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. 
Floyd Mayweather arrived in Nigeria's capital Sunday evening and met with organizers of this week's exhibition match in Dubai, as well as boxing fans and journalists. He held a news conference alongside his opponent in his upcoming match, boxer Don Moore. Mayweather said the visit to Nigeria was part of plans to promote the sport of boxing in Africa. It's all about giving back. You know, um, we're working on Mayweather boxing fitness gyms in Nigeria. It's all about giving back. We want to also build boxing camps for the, for the young youth and the young children coming up. We're going to continue to work together and continue to build this country, work together, and hopefully someday we can find the next Floyd Mayweather from Nigeria. Boxing in Nigeria has long been overshadowed by the rise in popularity of sports like football. Public boxing gyms are underfunded and poorly equipped. Nigeria's boxing champion, Olariwa Judurodola, says authorities need to step in and that Mayweather's visit could spur a positive change in Africa. The decision in Africa here is that there is not too much of a promoter here. We have a lot of talented boxers. As you can see, if you came to Nigeria, we have a big gym, you know, set all, this, all the tools that we need. I think the Nigeria boxing will be very great. Mayweather's match Saturday will take place at Dubai's Burj Al Arab Hotel. It will be his first time back in the ring since retiring in August 2017. Mayweather, who won 50 out of 50 matches during his career, has also visited South Africa, Morocco and Egypt. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Tanzania has launched a documentary to promote tourism called Tanzania, the Royal Tour. It's accompanied by calls for investment in infrastructure and skills to produce quality films for the international market. The documentary's producer Peter Greenberg says the industry has a great opportunity and potential to promote tourism in the country. Reporter Ed Uwesu has more. And now I have the distinct pleasure of introducing you. Producer Peter Greenberg recently met with tourism and media stakeholders at a press conference led by the U.S. ambassador to Tanzania, Dr. Donald Wright, at his residence in Dar es Salaam. We started 22 years ago. He talked about his work on the documentary called Tanzania, the Royal Tour. The film showed his week-long travel with President Samia Sulu Hassan as they explore history, food and music at various locations, including Zanzibar, Mount Kilimanjaro, Dar es Salaam and the Serengeti. The film has been shown in the U.S. on some public broadcasting stations and can be seen on Amazon Prime and Apple TV. Greenberg says Tanzania has many interesting places, good ancestral stories and many animal attractions, all that is needed to invest in modern film production. What you need now is the investors and to physically build the infrastructure. It's like an old American movie. If you build it, they will come, and they will. Uh, American filmmakers are not just looking for locations. They're also looking for talent. According to Greenberg, stories about Tanzania's culture, people, and history, together adorned with interesting narratives, will provide an opportunity for global audience to know more and will encourage them to visit. The act of storytelling or the art of storytelling is crucial. Without it, there is no story. There's no, there are no shows, right? And start with local. 
Start locally. Talk about tribal stories. Talk about folktales. Talk about morality plays. Talk about how these stories get handed down from generation to generation and then how they apply to today. It's amazing the connection. Tanzanian filmmakers attending the meeting, like producer Mary Mugishagwe, expressed their views on the importance of using film to promote tourism and travel in Tanzania. She says that filmmakers, especially in East Africa, should showcase lifestyles, culture and history using actual scenery to show how love is expressed in Tanzania. Reporting for Daybreak Africa, I'm Idu Wesu, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and on YouTube. Just search for VOA Africa. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.